Good afternoon. My uh, This is Mental Health and Us with Keith and Hannah. And today we're discussing, since this is our first podcast, our mission statement, which is to help people with mental health and have honest discussion and make resources available to those who are in need. My name is Keith, as I said before, and who I am is I am someone who has dealt with mental health for 40 years, since I was 10 years old, and I grew up in an abusive home, and spent a lot of years of my young life locked away in an institution of one sort or the other. But through that, I've been able to find the light at the end of the tunnel, which there is one. I know a lot of people don't believe there is, but if you can hang on long enough and get the right help, you will see that star shining again. Okay, guys, so my name is Hannah, and I am an occupational therapy student, and I've got the pleasure of getting to know Keith for a while now, a couple weeks, and I just thought that his story is one that's definitely worth hearing, um, one that is really interesting to me, and that I think, you know, he has a lot of amazing things to say about his own life, but also to give advice to others, um, coming from someone who's been through a lot and been in a lot of tough places. Um, so he has a lot of great things to say. So, um, the reason we wanted to start this podcast is to just, um, it's just a fun project for us to work on, to spread the word about mental health. Um, but also because we just enjoy, Um, having conversations and we want those conversations to benefit other people and get the word out about mental health and resources around St. Louis. So um, Keith, can you tell me a little bit about um, your purpose and what you enjoy about the thought of starting a podcast? Well, my original, when you brought it to my attention, I thought, well, this is great because this would be an opportunity for somebody who suffers from mental illness to speak up put some information out there and let a little bit of himself be known because I think maybe people will be able to take it a little easier mm-hmm. if it's, you know, from somebody that knows what they're suffering through and what they're dealing with. Yeah. Even though each person is unique, mm-hmm. there are some common threads that help, you know, weave it all together. Yeah. So, I mean, my biggest purpose was to try to help those in need and at the same time help myself. Yeah. You know, being able to discuss things with people and put information out there and let people know that they don't have to be alone. Yeah. The darkness can only last as long as we let it. But that if you seek the help that you need, you can find a way out. Yeah, I I think you bring up a good point there with it's a lot easier to listen to advice and resources from someone who's been there or been in a similar circumstance Um, You do offer a really great perspective on that, and I think people will respect your opinions and your thoughts because you've been in really tough places and you've seen a lot of, um, you've seen a lot of things in your life. And so it's, you have a lot of uh, perspective on life and mental health and relationships, Um, you have of the government, of, you know, the a political system, the justice system, the prison system. And so, you know, you know a lot firsthand. And so I think people would be more willing to listen to you about that stuff than some, you know, little girl that grew up in the suburbs and the most trouble she's been in was I got some detentions in school, actually, believe it or not, for being on my phone. Yeah, that's a story for another day. But yeah, so... (laughs) 
um, yeah, I think I think our listeners will enjoy having your perspective on things. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about just like your journey with your mental health and kind of where it started? And well, it kind of started. I mean, out of the blue, when I was a child, my dad just came home one night. I was summertime. I was on the couch in my BVDs, and he grabbed me by my throat and my leg and threw me up against the ceiling. No, oh. wait, what's a BVD? Uh, it's the name of a. Uh, Underwear. <laughs> You're sitting in your underwear. <laughs> I'm sitting okay. in my underwear. I was five years old. I hadn't even started school yet. And uh, so it was amazing. I mean, it was just wild because he picked me up and he pushed me through his bedroom window. And then it ended up with me in the kitchen, bent over the stove, and he was getting ready to turn on the fire. That's when my two sisters pulled out knives and told him to leave me alone. But from that on, that day on, it just progressively got worse he would uh, beat us boys like we were grown men he didn't really do anything with the girls or stuff like that basically admonish them you know and my older sister wouldn't take any of his crap anyway but over the years it, it the frustration the anger the fear the pain I turned to stealing shoplifting you know which i now they don't. They didn't say it back then, but it's a big thing they say now that it was a cry for help, yeah. trying to bring attention. Yeah. And but my dad's solution to that was to break the guitar up and throw it in the trash. Yeah. My mom's solution was she made me dig it out of the trash and made me walk back to the store and tell them I stole their broken, <laughs> their broken bass guitar. Mm-hmm. And but that was only something light. I mean, a few years after that, I was arrested for burglarizing my principal's house. Wait, what? When I was 10 years old. What did your principal? Yeah, he lived up the alley from me. What? And I don't and I don't know why. I mean, cuz I knew they were on vacation. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I did and I got in and the place was all tore up. And I figured well somebody had already been in there before me, which I found out later my brother and a friend of his it burglarized. Had the it. same idea. <laughs> But they didn't know where the, I knew the combination to the wall safe. I know where How? the stuff, their son let me know, Jeff, because he had stuff that he kept in there. Oh, okay. And I knew where the hidden stuff was in her mother's, father's bedroom underneath the floorboards. And oh my gosh. So I knew all the secret hiding places. Uh-huh. But being me and being stupid, I not only went back, only not one time, I went back two more times. Oh my gosh. And the third day, the neighbor across from them saw me and asked if, you know, Jeff was home, and I said, no, they'll be back. <laughs> and then uh, the cops were called. I hid under the bed. Of course, everybody hides under the bed. And, they found you. And they found me. Were you terrified? Was that the first time you got? That was the first time I got arrested like that, yeah. and uh, so Is that, that when you went to the boys' home then? No, that's when I went to juvie. I did a year in juvie. Oh, okay. So I was 11 and a half when I got out of juvie. But, Do you remember uh, juvie? Yeah. Was that your only time you went to juvie? Oh, no. (laughs) You had to about four or five more times after that. We can get to that sometime. Okay. So then, so you went to juvie, and then what happened? Well, I just, I became a hustler. I started, I played pool really well. So I made my cigarette. You played pool? Yeah. Pool. Like pool table, pool. Oh, pool, pool, pool. Yeah, you're saying pull. I should say. Well, it's my ex. I I thought that was some drug term that I didn't know. (laughs) Pool, pool, pool. But you know, I I I know pool because of course my dad's 
the idea of taking the family out was going a block up to the neighborhood bar. And so, playing, yeah, darts and, and pool. Darts and, and pool. Yeah. And then I started hustling people up there for money. Mm. So, and for some reason, you know, most people think a little white. And I was a very little white kid <laughs> going into a predominantly black environment because, of course, you know, as it is today, black people do get incarcerated unjustly and more than white people do. I agree. And so, from then on, black people became my family, my friends. You know, that's the majority of people I hang with, deal with. And because they got it. They got me. Yeah. Where white people were nervous around me. They didn't know how to take me. He's just a troublemaker. He's this, he's that. Yeah. And so, I mean, after that, I mean, I did a couple stints in a mental hospital for about six months apiece. When you were a kid? Mm Mm-hmm. Like all the drugs people take now and 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I was a guinea pig for that stuff back in the early 80s. Oh, yeah. You were growing up in the, yeah. And uh, back then, they didn't want to hear what you had to say. I'm the doctor. I know what's best. <coughs> Shut your mouth and let's get this treatment started. But then after that, of course, county jail came into view. And I spent quite a, at least a total of three years in juvie, or not juvie, but uh, county jails. Okay. And then from there, you know, I went on. Plus, I was dealing drugs by then. I mean, I went to my first AA meeting when I was 12. Yeah. And you, can you imagine a skinny little white kid when he raises his hand and he got bikers and everybody looking and going, Are you a midget? <laughs> <laughs> no, you were just like 15 probably. How 12. old were you? You were 12, 12. yeah. yeah. I, I think that um, our pairing is funny because... I don't know. I don't think you know that much about me, but I'm, you can probably guess I was, you know, what quote unquote, the good kid, you know, I didn't get in trouble a lot. I was a clown. I was a class clown. I, I had a lot of people laughing and I always got low scores for talking too much in class on my report cards. But other than that, I really didn't get into too much trouble. Um, I didn't do a lot of, I, I'm, I think the worst things I did was I snuck I snuck people into my basement sometimes to hang out with them, but I never drank or did drugs with them. I just snuck them in to hang out. I did out. completely the opposite. I know. Yeah, you did. And so I think, but I think those relationships are important, you know, to get to know people that grew up in a completely different way or have different personalities or different habits and struggles because then you learn from each other. And, right. you know, I, I can't say I've ever deeply gotten to know someone with like a pretty significant criminal history or, you know, or someone that's been homeless or somebody that's, you know, done this and that, you know, I haven't gotten to know that many people on that deep of a level yet. Um, so it's been nice to get to know your story and other people's story around us. Um, to just learn more about the experiences that is life um, especially when you grow up in certain areas or with certain privilege or with certain um, just things going for you, like parents who are educated or parents who don't have mental health struggles or parents that don't drink. You know, I'm not saying that any of that is my parents because, well, I, I don't need to talk about them today. But, I, you know, not a, they weren't perfect either. But there's a, there's a difference between probably what, how my parents raised me versus how your family, you know, well, raised me. My parents you. shouldn't have been parents. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Either yeah. one were, and I mean, I believe they were all suffering their own mental illness, mm-hmm. but these were people that grew up in the depression. So, yeah. 
they just took it as being what their life was growing up. Uh, there was no talk of getting help until my first episode when I was about 11 or so, and I took a knife and cut everything up in the house, just everything. just for Like the furniture? The and furniture, everything. What else? Well, my parents' bed, they didn't appreciate that. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it was a used one. So you were just mad and you just cut? I just, I just went berserk. Yeah. Was anyone home? No, I was just by myself. Yeah. I mean, they were, my parents were leaving me by myself by the time I was eight, nine years old. Yeah. They'd go out and do their thing or whatever. But, I mean, it was interesting, to say the least. But, you know, we never could understand why my dad was the way he was because he wasn't done like that when he was a child. Yeah. And here was a guy that was born with a birth defect, which was Ricketts. So, and if a lot of people don't know what rickets is, it means you don't get enough calcium. Your bones are very brittle. Oh. And uh, his grandmother basically told the doctor, said, just put him in his crib, feed him, take care of him. He'll probably pass in six months. Oh, But she surprised. just tied him onto her waist. He took in extra laundry just so he can have milk. And basically for his first year, he was strapped to his grandmother's hip. That was your dad? Yeah. Oh. He was the youngest of seven. Okay. And, uh. But his idea and the way he parented it was, you know, he was another one of those kind of, uh, uh, to be seen, not heard. Yeah. And a lot of times not even seen. <laughs> so yeah. just get out of the picture altogether. But, I mean, when I look back on it now, I look at it with empathy yeah. towards him and my brother because what they might have been suffering, but neither, neither of us understood at the time. Right. What anybody was really going through mentally. Yeah, and they didn't. They also didn't know the science behind it. Um, what trauma does to the brain, what chemical imbalances mm -hmm. that are hereditary can do to your brain and your behavior. And so, we live in a very fortunate time right now where there's more research out and more understanding mm -hmm. about diagnoses that, you know, aren't completely you know your fault. You know, there are things that you might have inherited or. You know, we talked about nature versus nurture a while back. Um, um, traumas that can happen to you, PTSD, they can really shape mm -hmm. your mental health down the road and even immediately. And so it's a good point. And our parents and who raised us, the people around us, the adults around us, our relationships with them, that mm -hmm. definitely put, plays a big part in how we grow up in our mental health and our well-being. And um, so, yeah, you bring up a good point about your dad because, you know, that, that was a tough relationship and if there you, you even consider it a relationship you probably do don't you well for a long time i had wished i'd been the one to kill him instead of him having a heart attack oh okay but that was because of the situation and the way it was but over time i've been able to look at myself mm -hmm. now I, I do believe some of what i suffer from is because of his actions oh yeah and my sure. brother's actions but I had to be willing to look at who they were, yeah. especially my brother. He had to grow up in that same house. Yeah. You know, but him and dad got along better because they had sports and all that in common. And, uh, but, you know, it's when you're in the throw of it, addiction, abuse, and then criminal behavior, yeah. uh, uh, compromising sexual incidences and things of that nature. You know, I mean, you really put yourself out there yeah. for a lot of danger, but you don't you don't view it as being dangerous. It's just what it is. It's, it's leisure. It's leisure. 
and coping coping yeah. yeah and i coped with just about every drug there was out, out there at the time <laughs> and that would be if you heard it our slight little intro telling us that we might be running out of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that was like a, a subconscious. The phone knew it was time to be done. Um, well, really quickly, yeah, we'll just um, close out. Um, I just want them to know a little bit more. Just tell them really quickly about just how long you were in prison, just the different facilities. Like, you don't have to name them, but how many facilities you went to and kind of where you are right now. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I did 12. Well, if you add it all together, prison time, I did 13 and a half years because I had a two-year sentence that I had done 19 months before. And so, but it was 12 and a half years, and it was for a violent crime. And I knew, I, I mean, I think my time went easy because I knew I was supposed to be there. I knew what I did. Yeah. I didn't fight it. I didn't spend years trying to, you know, fight it in court, which I felt kind of sorry for all these guys that did and their time, they were just miserable all the time, mm -hmm. fighting and fighting and fighting. And, uh, but they knew they were supposed to be locked up. They knew it in their heart. But I mean, it was, I went, of course, you know, I started at the walls, the original one, Jeff City. I was there a year until they found out I wasn't supposed to be there at all. Oh yeah, you told me about that. And then I went to Pacific, and they knew they had to get rid of me from there because being a victim of sexual abuse by somebody outside the house, and now I'm in a camp with uh, sexual offenders of both children and women, they knew they had to get me, better get me out of there quick before something happened to one of the other inmates. Mm -hmm. So then I wound up at Algoa, and I did three years there, got a factory job. No, I didn't have the factory job yet, but I was there for three years, and they shipped a bunch of us to Texas to relieve the overcrowding. So that was a about a six-month affair until my mom died, and then they wouldn't let me come for a bedside visit or anything, so I had to wait till the last day of her layout to go see her, and nobody could show up. They mm. called my family ahead of time and said, if anybody shows up, we're going to yank him out of here and so forth and so forth. Mm -hmm. The thing I found funny was that here I am at... Five foot six, 120 pounds, and I got three guys over six foot, 200 pounds guarding me from <laughs> Texas to St. Louis. I was just thinking about how tall you were because I was describing you to someone, and I was like, I think you might only be 5'8, but I gave you cr more credit than you deserved. You're only 5'6. Only 5'6. You're, you're a little guy. Second ta tallest in my family. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, and tell us a little bit about where you are now. Well, now I'm in a, uh, forget, I guess they call it a supportive, supportive housing, housing yeah. and uh, they've been really good. I've been here going on two years in November. It's allowed me to be more open and have a time to really get my mind right. And I try to not only use the benefits that they have here with the counseling and groups, but mm -hmm. I try to make myself available and useful to other residents. Yeah. If they need to talk. Or something they need to get off on their chest, they just want to go somewhere, or they just want you to sit there and listen and keep your mouth shut. Yeah, I try to do that, but I mean, I, I like the place. Some people have complaints, I don't. <laughs> I'm grateful for a roof over my head, yeah, you know, because I know what it's like not to have one, right? Yeah. And so maybe I do overlook things, or I'm just not seeing what they see, but I got no problem with this place or the people that work here, and so I mean, it. My view differs from a lot of other people that live here, but 
I try to make be useful to everybody, from the people that work here to the people that live here, and do my part because this is my community. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think what you said about you know being there for people and living in a place where there are people nearby that have kind of been through similar things or not similar, but also hard things, and being um, a community um, and having relationships that there's give and take where you're you know, pouring into people's lives with, you know, just your presence and your truth and, um, honesty and, you know, you're helpful and, and then them giving back to you, hopefully where they're giving you a part of their lives and, um, helping you with, you know, whatever you need. And so I think that's a good thing about this place. And I, so, and speaking of good things, we also want this podcast to have some funny stuff mm-hmm. in it, you know? And since Keith and I have both had our fair share of funny stories, we thought we should include some of those in the podcast because who doesn't love a good funny story? So, Keith, why don't you share with us the funny story of the day? Well, the funniest story I could tell you is that uh, when I was 16, I went to a supposedly moving out party. <laughs> he was moving away, he said. But the truth turned out later, he was being evicted, but he was throwing one last <laughs> blast at his apartment. And it was on the second floor, which I handily forgot once I was inebriated and high enough that they had to keep coming and picking me up, put me back in the corner. Which we do not condone, by the way. Yes, we do not condone. <laughs> but, especially for teenagers, wait till you're long after you're 21, it's better, trust me. But, uh... The cops came, I saw the red lights, and everybody else was running into the bedroom, hiding in closets, and I looked at them, and I said, well, that's where they look, for my lesson when I was 10. <laughs> and uh, so I thought I could just do a quick dive out the window, thought I was on the first floor, wasn't, do a little tuck and roll and run off into J.B. Park. But as it was described to me later, because I had no real recollection of it, was that the cop that was out back waiting for kids to drop, hang from their hangers and drop, said all he saw was a screen pop out, a one hand come out with what he thought was a joint, and another hand with a bottle of Jack Daniels. And here come my head. So the way they explained it to me was that I come out flying like a goose, The telephone wire caught me on my neck, spun me around, and I landed on a small incline on my face first. (laughs) Now you would think, oh my God, his face is going to be all jacked up, a bunch of broken bones, but that wasn't the case. But they did pronounce me dead at the scene, and I woke up in a body bag on the ambulance before Wait, what? Yeah, they pronounced me dead, but that's before they had all the electronic stuff on their buses. It was strictly stethoscope. They didn't have nothing to... Was your heart not beating? This is the first time I'm hearing this well, part. Well, they said that my uh, heart rate went so low they couldn't detect a pulse. But I woke up in time just before they pulled out of the driveway. Oh, my gosh. And, I, you know, because I woke up, I saw just a little bitty light, and I stuck my pinky in there. <laughs> and the for- first thing that came to my mind was I got drunk and somebody stuffed me in a garment bag. And, yes, I'm small enough to fit in a garment bag. <laughs> But to my surprise and the chagrin of the guy in the back of the uh, ambulance with me, I won't say what he said, but it, it started with holy. <laughs> and then uh, finally the lieutenant came and he said, well, we're not taking him to the hospital because we don't want to take any re- responsibility, just take him home to his mother. And then the next morning that Saturday, she woke up, came downstairs, and started beating me with a cane that I had bought her when I went to the Ozarks. <laughs> That's very me specific. It's, 
If I want to kill myself, she'll help me. No. But when I got to the school on that Monday, everybody was looking at me incredulously because the last thing they saw, I was being zipped up in a body bag. They thought you were dead. But they you... thought I was dead. How old are you? I was 16 at the time. Oh, my gosh. Do you... Were you... Wait, were you in an ambulance or you were just... I was in, in the back of the ambulance. They were ready to take off. Oh, my gosh. They didn't even, like, pump your stomach or anything? Mm-hmm. They just took you home, huh? Yep, took me home. My that mom, had to be the early 80s. Uh, yeah, it was uh, 85, 86. It was a ruthless time where they uh, were just picking kids up off the street that looked dead. and. Yeah, they didn't care. <laughs> Take them somewhere. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that is one of your funniest stories, I have to say. Um, but I don't just... recommend that to any of the listeners, trust me. Yeah, we don't. And um, that is very ridiculous, but I'm not surprised because I feel like you've gotten yourself into a lot of interesting situations. But oh, the yeah. body bag really was a twist. I didn't realize that they thought you were dead. Yeah. And they didn't have the technology to actually prove that. So good oh. for you. You you escaped the body bag death. Um <laughs> That's true. Well, moving on from that, another thing that we want to do at the end of the, um, our segment is to just um, talk about a quote about mental health and kind of lightly discuss it really quick. So this quote is by Glenn Close. Why don't you go ahead and read it, Keith? What mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, and more unashamed conversation. Yep. And that's it. I think that's kind of our goal here is to bring some, I don't know, it's some metaphorical sunshine maybe to the story that is your life, to the lives around us, um, to the people listening, um, especially with such a hard topic. Mental health, you know, can deeply affect people's lives and and their quality of life. But we want to bring some light to that and also have an open, honest conversation and I like the word unashamed because, yeah. you know, it does nothing to be shameful of what you've, de- you, what you've done or what I've done. Uh, all we can do really is move forward and keep growing as people and keep being positive uh, people and influences on others. So I think that quote's really nice. Well, I think two people, you need to own your mental illness. Yes, you yeah. You own it. It's yours. Yeah. So it's your, your stake in getting the help. You know, I mean, there are people that do go around looking and helping and trying to get people out the streets. But the end is you've got to see yourself and be willing to seek that help. Yeah. It is a two-way street. Yeah. And speaking of taking action, why don't you give them uh, our resources that we picked out for today? Well, we picked out two, which is the Mental Health Hotline, which their number is 877-738-1357. Again, that's the Mental Health Hotline at 877-738-1357. We also have the Suicide Prevention Hotline. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I have to say that that does show your age because you repeated everything like you were leaving a phone message, but mm-hmm. our listeners can rewind it and just re-listen to the video. <laughs> so you're I'm just, getting hit, people. I'm getting hit. You're just showing people how old you are. <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our first podcast. And, and we hope to do many more. Yes. Yeah. Bye.